You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning. Really glad you're here with us today. Welcome to Kingsway. If you're watching at home online, welcome to Kingsway. And uh, I've already met some new people visiting with us today, so really glad you're here. We are in the last, the third week of a series called Parental Guidance Required. And we're just talking specifically to parents, but everybody in here either has a parent or is a parent, right? I think that's somewhat safe assumption. I don't know any other way that you got here in the world. So somewhere this is gonna hit you. What you're gonna find throughout this series Our theory has been that God is a father, and so therefore God is a parent, so therefore if we study God, we can actually learn some things about how to do this parenting thing. But I'm going to be honest, today we're talking about discipline, and I'm really, really feeling insecure about this sermon. And part of the reason I feel insecure is is not because I don't know the passages the Bible says. I spent this week, I, I can't say I read every passage, I think I said that last service, I probably overstated it, I read almost every passage that I could find on the subject of discipline in the scripture, and then on some of them, I really drilled down deep on them to find out what they have to say. And this is a constant struggle for me as a parent. I have three little kids, 12, 10, and seven, and it is a constant struggle. God is constantly leading me, speaking me, encouraging me, challenging me. And this week I was sharing all of that with my mom on the phone. And she said to me something like, you know, she's been listening online. So hi, mom, if you're watching right now. And, uh, and she said, you know, I've been listening online. And when we were raising you, there really weren't resources for parents like there are today. She said, it would have been so powerful if somebody would have stood up in in the church we were in and taught the things you're teaching. So thank you for loving your church this way. And I thought, I know every single person out here feels the exact same way. Every Sunday, they never feel any other way. Anyway, that wasn't as funny as I thought, but we'll keep moving. Anyway, then she said to me, she goes, and you know, when it comes to discipline, Matt, like no parent knows exactly how to do it. She said, do you remember the time that I completely lost it? And I thought, which one? And she said, um, <laughs> she said, you made me so mad that I don't remember now if she grabbed like a wooden spoon or a belt and she starts beating the chair in front of me. And when I say lost it, I mean, she lost it. Like she, she, just, she was done, but she didn't spank me or hit me. She just lost it on this chair. And when she said it, I was like, I kind of remember that. Tell me more about it. And she couldn't remember. We're like, together, we're piecing this together. And I did, like, all of a sudden, in a moment, I could see, like, my mom's crazy face. (laughs) And she was, like, staring at me. And I remember because I was somewhere between, like, 11 and 13. And so probably she felt like I was too old to spank or whatever it was. I don't know. We're going to get to all that. But I just remember for a moment, like, looking at my mom and thinking, oh, no, I've really pushed her too far. And then she said those dreaded words. Do you know what they are? You wait until your dad comes home. And I knew it was bad news then. And the reason is I didn't know what kind of day my dad was going to have. So if my dad had a bad day at work and then he comes home and my mom has lost it and the chair's broken, whatever, like she's lost it and I'm in my room, it's not going to go good because he's going to walk in the door and the first thing he's going to be greeted with is an unhappy wife and he's going to be very unhappy. But if my dad had a fantastic day at work, I got a chance. I got a shot, but it's a crapshoot and I don't know which way this thing's going to go. And so I remember I'm up in my room waiting for my dad to come home and I'm like pacing around. I'm anxious and I hear the doors and my life is about to end. Can anybody relate with that? So what I want to do is jump into two passages that if you've been 
at all in America in the last 50 years, you probably heard these passages related to discipline. What I want to do is throw them out there, get them out of the way, unpack them just a little, and move on to some other things. But they do lay a really good foundation we have to look at. So let me just read them. Everybody take a deep breath. We'll talk about them in just a minute. Okay, ready? Here we go. Proverbs 22:15 says this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Before we unpack that at all, let's just read the next one. It's a lot like it, and we'll stop on that one and unpack that one. Proverbs 23, the next chapter, verses 12 to 14, says this. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. I love the kind of sarcasm of that, right? Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Now, I literally went and read a number of commentaries. Here's my suggestion. Don't Google this. Google is not a good place to get wisdom about passages like this. But what you will find is if you go read commentaries from godly men and women who are scholars, who are experts in the language, who know the scriptures really well, can unpack this for you, you're going to find this spectrum of people who read this, break it down, and apply it. From the reason why it is okay to corporal punish or spank my child, or passages just like this. To the other end, who say, these words don't mean in Greek and Hebrew what they mean in English. This is not what is meant by the context. And you will literally find people who line up all along the way, which only makes parenting that much more confusing, doesn't it? Thank you for agreeing with me. Yes, it does. What I want to do to TDA is not tell you everything you need to know. This is not a parenting seminar this is a sermon on a Sunday morning at a church. We want to open God's word and see what God has for us. So let's just break a few nuggets down to help us guide us today. First of all, this thing here, do not withhold discipline from a child. It is critical, and we'll see this in all of our passages today. It is critical that we discipline our child. And we'll get to this more in a moment. Like, don't put up the next slide yet. But what is discipline? What exactly is meant by this? The word here for discipline actually has many different meanings. And here's the thing to know when you're translating Greek and Hebrew and English, context is king. And what that means is what is meant by the word to the author is more important than what I think the word means to me or what it means in my culture today. It's kind of irrelevant what I think of the word. It's important what, what the person who wrote this and the Holy Spirit through them chose for the word. But this word discipline can mean many different things. It can actually mean to speak a word of correction. It also can mean a chastisement, which many times is like a stronger word, like stop. It can also mean something like to punish. So exactly what do I do then? This word child here can be something more like son. In fact, if I'm reading one commentary correctly, this word used here is the same word used in another passage in Proverbs where he says, my son, don't go to the adulterer's house. Don't be tempted by her voice and her sm good smelling perfumes. Don't be drawn into her presence. Well, that's really awkward if we mean a six-year-old. Are you with me? So context is king, but to put child here instead of say son while in English, it gives us a very specific interpretation that may or may not apply in this context. So the big picture here, if we walk away with anything, the big picture we get from this is it is critical that we do not withhold discipline from our children, otherwise bad things can happen. In fact, the purpose of discipline is to teach. That's the whole point. 
This word here, notice this, discipline. If you take out the I and the N and you slide this E over, you get the word disciple. The word discipline comes from a Latin word, which actually means pupil. A pupil is a disciple. It's somebody that you're teaching. So discipline in its greatest sense is always most effective when it's teaching. If it's not teaching, it's ineffective discipline. Are you with me? Now, part of what makes this conversation so difficult is I know for a fact that some of you were raised in homes where discipline was abusive. And so you hear passages like this. And again, as I said last week, you think of your heavenly father as a cruel or mean or harsh dad, because perhaps your dad or your mom was cruel or mean or harsh. And that's not at all what the Bible is arguing for. Not at all. I want to flatly condemn all forms of abuse whatsoever right here, right now. And if that was you, I believe with all my heart that God intends to heal that, not hurt you. Let's continue through some passages and just know that right now um, I'm insecure because this is hard for me. God is constantly speaking to me, revealing to me, teaching me through books and scriptures and other people. And so I don't have this nailed down, but I do think there's some wisdom we can get from God's word. Ready? Psalm 94, verse 11. The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. (laughs) Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord. The one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. In other words, what the psalmist is proclaiming here By the way, I learned this about 18 months ago. The scriptures speak to us. The Psalms speak for us. So the psalmist is writing and they're crying out to the Lord and reminding the Lord, here is who I know you are. God, even though life might be difficult, even though I know life might be hard right now, I am blessed because you are disciplining me, Lord. And what does it mean to discipline me? To what? Teach me. Again, discipline is not for the sake of punishment. Discipline is for the sake of teaching. The end game is to be taught. The vast majority of the time, when the Lord wants to teach you, he teaches you by doing what's happening right now. Somehow, a word from a friend, uh, maybe, maybe a, a, a loving encouragement or challenge from a parent, perhaps uh, somebody in a workplace environment, God's word itself, the preaching, the teaching, the proclamation of God's word, and God rebukes us. He corrects us. He teaches us. That's the vast majority of the way that God disciplines us. And when that's not enough, God will escalate things. And we'll talk about that at the end of the message. But that's the rhythm, the teaching, the correcting, which is why it's important that we don't just come to church once a month or once a year at Christmas and Easter. We need to be constantly under the teaching of God's word. I don't know about you, but God chooses to offend me on a regular basis, revealing all the ways that my life is not yet where he wants it. And I'm so thankful for a good father who loves me enough to constantly correct me and rebuke me in love. He doesn't leave me stuck in my folly to make a mess of my life. He loves me enough to do something about it. So my theory goes, we ought to do the same thing. Every good parent disciplines. If God is a great parent, a perfect parent, and he disciplines, then every good parent will do the same thing. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Careful, meaning they give thought to it, meaning they think about it, meaning they focus on it, right? They don't rush through it. They're careful to do it. And we'll talk tips in a moment 
But that means that I'm not just going to explode and in my rage make everything bad or worse. It means that in carefully thinking about what's happening, I'm going to discipline in a way that teaches the lesson. As discipline increases, investment in the relationship needs to go up even more. I got this nugget of wisdom from my good friend, one of my mentors, a guy named Rick Sudsbury. I was dealing with some stuff. I remember reaching out to him. I'm like, here's what I'm dealing with. Do you have any wisdom for me? He said, Matt, whatever you end up doing to correct or rebuke or to teach, just know that you need to think of this as like a two to three times the investment kind of number. So as the discipline goes up, the investment in the relationship needs to go up. Now, I'm really anxious. So for those of you who are Kingsway members and you love me and you love our church, please pray for me. This next series, I'm legit anxious about. I'm not lying. But in that series, I will talk a little bit more about what I'm about to say. So I'm about to like drop a little gold nugget out there and say, hey, go look for this nugget, come back, and I'll tell you more about it over the next couple weeks. Here's the gold nugget. You are totally safe and secure in God's love. And there is this raging debate in Christians, and, and we've been debating it for hundreds, even maybe thousands of years now, as to whether or not I can lose my salvation. And we're gonna talk about all of that. We're gonna talk about all of that. But the Gold nugget is to know that you are absolutely secure in God's love, that he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. And there is nothing that you can do to make him quit on you. Are you with me? Now, we're going to unpack that theologically in a couple of weeks. So for those of you who are like, wait a minute, but, but just stick with me, because that model is our model for our parenting. It is crucial that when you must discipline that an investment in the relationship must increase in order for the relationship to stay intact. The discipline is to teach. The discipline is not to cost the relationship. This passage in Job, I love this. I feel like I confused everybody last service, but um, the Bible study guide guy in me has to do what I'm about to do, and I don't mean to confuse anybody. So let me read the passage and then confuse you. Ready? Job 5. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Is that powerful? Here's the problem with that passage. (laughs) The problem with that passage is the book of Job is about a righteous man named Job. And there's a spiritual battle going on for his soul. And God allows Satan to do some things to him, but God is not the one doing them. And Job... Part of Satan's trick to to trip up Job is he sends friends to Job to lie to Job about what God is doing so that Job will curse God. And the friend who says this is rebuked by God at the end of the story for not representing God well. So for me to take this passage and use it to say this represents God when God rebukes the person who says this, and you're like, well, the pastor, why even bring that up? And here's why. Because if you ever notice this, Every great lie has a nugget of truth. If you were to go read this friend's argument, there's a large part of what he is saying that is wrong. God is not the one punishing Job. So this verse doesn't apply to what is happening in Job's life. And therein lies the tension that I will deal with throughout the message today. But this nugget of truth is true, and we see it throughout Scripture. 
We see it with the nation of Israel when God sends in Nebuchadnezzar to discipline and punish them, but he doesn't quit on them. There's a remnant and he takes guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he leads them and he births the nation out of them. And through them, he fulfills his promises to bring us Jesus, our hope and our savior. And it's a beautiful thing because the one who does injure also was the one who heals. And so while this quote to Job is not from the Lord, this quote does represent God himself. Is anybody confused yet? I hope that helps you a little bit because what you're going to see is God is not afraid to discipline you. But not everything hard in your life is from God. That one was from Satan. We'll talk more about that. Hang on to that. Let me show you an easier passage to follow. <laughs> Revelation chapter three, there's these seven churches and to these seven churches, they represent every kind of church that can exist in the world today. Go read Revelations two and three sometime, Revelation, sorry, two and three sometime and be blown away and just look for yourself. Where am I in one of these churches? That's the intention of those seven churches. And to one of the churches though, he rebukes them and says, if you do not repent, I will remove your lampstand. And the lampstand is the church. In other words, church, if you don't get back on right relationship with me, I will just remove you. But notice what he says here in Revelation 3.18. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So even though I've rebuked, even though I've disciplined, it didn't cost us our relationship. What you need to do is return to me. And that's because the most effective discipline brings a desire for the restoration of the relationship. I'm gonna say that one again for those who are listening at home and aren't watching on the screen. The most Effective discipline brings a desire for the restoration of the relationship. In other words, and this is hard to navigate, like I am not the expert coming down the mountain to tell everybody else how to do this. I'm telling you this is hard work. But if my child does something wrong and I insert an outside influence that does nothing to lead them back to me, and they change their behavior to get the thing that I've removed from them, then I have not affected our relationship at all. What I mean by that is whatever discipline you impose, whatever you come up with, it needs to create a longing to be connected back to you and not back to a sport, not back to an iPad, not back to a car, not back to a TV, not back to a whatever it is. What ends up getting lost when a discipline occurs is a loss of trust and relationship. Not because you're disciplining, but because something has happened or occurred that requires a discipline. But what that is supposed to do is create in them a longing to be in a right relationship with you again. Every family is going to have a toxic moment. Every one. How are we dealing with the toxicity determines whether we're healthy or not. Are we repairing what is broken? Are they learning from their lessons? I remember going to the park at Trader's Point. I'm so thankful for Trader's Point Christian Church offering the park to his parents, amen, right? Praise God for brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was up there one night and um, mama was on a date with Patty Beavers and just having a good time hanging out and uh, they were having fun. And I took the boys, I'm like, we're gonna go get some Chick-fil-A and go to the park, it's a good day. And uh, we go up there and my kids are doing fantastic. So I am in a great place. 
And there's a mom who's been there for a while and her little one, I don't remember, I don't have any idea how old they are, five or six years old, whatever. It's time for them to go. And uh, this particular child is now having a hard time and full-fledged like uh, meltdown mode on the ground, screaming, crying, you know, doing the whole thing, right? And here I'm watching mom's face. Like you can see mom's anxiety building up. It's like, I've told you whatever, it was a girl, but I told you little Johnny, it's time to go. I've told you, we gotta get out the door. I told you, you asked for more time. I said, yes, no more time. It's time to go. Like now we're in a battle. Kids going, uh-uh, I'm not leaving. And you could see like the red going. And I wanted to walk over to the mom so bad, just gently touch her on the shoulder. I was afraid to get punched in the nose, but just gently touch her on the shoulder and be like, mama, we got your back. Like, but I know what's going through mom's mind. Everybody in here is judging me, Right? She's embarrassed and she's ashamed and everybody in here is thinking something of me. And so she starts to elevate her voice and to yell and to scream. Well, it didn't do anything to the situation. I wanted to go over and just say, just sit for a minute. When they're done throwing a fit, trust me, they'll walk right out the door with you. We got your back, mom. Don't worry about any of us. But the truth is, I also know that many people in the culture were judging her because that's the world we live in. What would happen if we stopped judging and, 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 and throwing things at others who are struggling to figure this out and just gently come alongside them and discipline and teach them and love them and correct them and rebuke them and say, hey, you know, there's a better way. You're okay. Take a deep breath. You got this. We got this. You're for you, right? Like worry about being connected with your child. She'll follow your lead. Let me show you this to you in a Bible passage. Psalm 38. What happened? We don't know. David has sinned. We don't know what he did. We don't know what's going on. But here's what he writes. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. Now, whatever exactly is happening in David's life, I don't know. You don't know. So be careful you don't judge David. However, what I do know is David is experiencing the natural consequences of his decision. And he's feeling the brokenness in his relationship between him and God. So he's begging God, look, I know you're angry. I know I've messed up. Just don't crush me. What he does over the next, say, 15 or 18 verses is he describes the pain that he's feeling. And if you read it, the pain that he's feeling is all a natural consequence of the choices that he's made. Make sense? God isn't having in this situation to impose an extra discipline upon David. He's feeling it in his bones. His choices are causing pain. And then he concludes Psalm 38. He says, uh, I scooped ahead. Here we go. Verse 21. Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. In other words, God, I know I messed up. I know whatever it is that I'm feeling, I'm feeling it, but I'm feeling mostly, God, that we are broken. So please, please come back to me. You could take away the iPad. You could take away my car. You could take away my toys. You could take away my allowance or my money, but please don't take you. I just don't want to lose you. I see really good parenting gets to that. Trust me, I've messed this one up more than I know how. But this is the goal, a reconnection, a restoration of the relationship. 
The child has repented. The child has come back to you. There's a connection. And just like God, you're going to forgive it and you're going to move on to the next moment. We're going to throw it as far as the east is from the west. We're literally going to remove it from us. It's not going to come back up and be used against you because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. We've dealt with this moment. We're going to move on with a clean slate to the next moment. And we are going to be restored together. Here's the thing. Discipline is not cold-hearted punishment. It's not. The Lord's discipline is a response of his love for us. Now, I want to show you what I consider to be one of the hardest passages in the entire Bible. And um, I honestly avoided this book for about 10 years. I'm not, I'm not joking. I had a chance to take it as a Bible college course in college. I just stay away from it because there were so many passages that scare me. And we're actually going to get to some of those over these next few weeks. Because finally, I decided I was going to force myself to study it by teaching it to you guys back in 2013, I think it was. And I'm so glad I did. It is now one of my favorite books. And I know I say it about every book I teach on. So it's probably not true. But I just love this book. I love the Bible, man. It's so good. Here's the context. If I give context, it's going to help us with what I'm about to teach you. The book is the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews is basically written to a group of people who are going through tremendous suffering. A lot of that suffering is coming through actual pain. So what's happened is you've got these Hebrew people. They were raised in the Old Testament. They were Jewish. And many of them came to believe in Jesus Christ. And so they became Christians. But the problem is they were cut off from their family members. Sometimes in the book of Hebrews, you're talking to Gentiles who became Christians. So they worshiped the Roman pantheon of God, Zeus and, and all the others, okay? But what you're seeing then is because life is hard, they're experiencing persecution, or it's difficult to do business, or they don't know where to go to get coaching because their family network is completely blown up, or whatever it is, what's happening is they're considering leaving Jesus to go back to something else, someone else. And the whole book of Hebrews is written to say, don't do that. Where are you going to go? In fact, it begins by saying, you're going to go to the angels? What angel could possibly give you what Jesus, the creator of the angels, has given you? Are you going to go to the Old Testament lamb? That lamb has to be offered over and over and over again on the day of atonement. Jesus died once for all. Are you going to go to Moses? Moses went up the mountain and his face shined like lightning, but then he lost it over time. Jesus shines like lightning all the time because he's God incarnate. And he just goes over and over and over. Where are you going to go? He's better than this. He's better than this. He's better than this. So by the time you get to chapter 11, he goes, look at these heroes of the faith. Imagine yourself running this race and lining the streets. You've got Isaiah and you've got Elijah and you've got Elisha and you've got Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and you've got all these heroes of the faith and you're running this race and they're cheering you on. They're like, don't quit. It's worth it in the end. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he goes, by the way, God disciplines those he loves. And you go, what? Look at his words, Hebrews 12, verse four. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Now he's quoting an Old Testament passage. He says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens 
everyone he accepts as his son. You're like, what in the world does that have to do with this? Well, it's about to get real, but I want you to get the nugget first. Everybody who experiences the discipline of the Lord is a child of God. So here's my little 30 second nugget on why I can't stand the prosperity gospel today. When I came to this text years ago and I finally figured out what in the world I'm supposed to do with the book of Hebrews, I didn't have a box for God that God fit in. And I kept trying to construct a box to put God in, but the problem is he didn't fit in my box. The prosperity gospel tells you that you'll know God is with you because you'll be healthy, rich, wise. Everything is gonna go great for you. That's the blessings of God. And those are blessings from God. And I thank God for them. But the truth is, God disciplines everybody he loves. So if you've never experienced the discipline of God, you need to take a serious look today about whether or not God is for you or God is with you. Because he disciplines everyone he loves. His own son didn't get out of that one. Well, what does that mean? I actually think the book of Hebrews goes and explains it. And let me give you my thoughts on it. Here we go. Verse 7. Endure hardship then as discipline. Wait, what? Yeah. Whenever you're going through something difficult, the writer of Hebrews is saying, see that hard thing you're going through is God disciplining you. How does that make any sense? Doesn't God want me to be blessed? Well, of course he does. But God's ultimate goal for your life is not that things would go easy. God's ultimate goal for your life is that you would be holy. So when God disciplines, it's an opportunity for your faith to grow. It's an opportunity for your character to grow. It's an opportunity for your patience to grow. It's an opportunity for your perseverance to grow. Both Peter and Paul in their writings tap into the same thing the writer of Hebrews is getting at. Peter has this great little thing. He says, and when we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. The end game is we're like fully mature in Christ. Our character can grow. Perseverance can grow. Our love can grow because God is disciplining us. So see, whatever hardship you're going through is a gift from God to grow you. Are you with me? Then he goes on and he says, God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, first of all, is that even true today? I've had a number of parents say, man, this is a convicting message for me. Everyone undergoes discipline, but if you don't, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. This one came to me a few years ago when I was wrestling with some stuff and I went through some hard seasons in my life and I just wondered if God was done with me. Maybe he didn't love me anymore. And God took me right to this passage and he says, no, actually it's the exact opposite. I love you too much to not grow you in this way. And I'm so thankful now for a heavenly father who makes my life hurt once in a while because he loves me. But I also want to be a parent who models that to my family. Moreover, the writer says, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They, our parents, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Oh, and I love that. As they thought best. I read that passage and I went, yes, that is the grace that every parent in here needs. Can we just stop for a second and say, you are not going to do this perfect every time. Neither am I. And neither did your parents. And probably if your children should raise up and have a family, neither will they. 
And it gets easy to blame the generation before. Yeah, but they, and I didn't, if I'd have had a whatever, I get it, I get it, I get it. But every parent is doing their best, aren't they? Their best. May not be the best, but it's their best. So we have to give ourselves some grace. We have to give them some grace. Nothing will make you more gracious towards your parents than becoming a parent, amen? Like seriously, and realizing, wow, my, my parents were not the best at this, were they? They just start smacking chairs like a crazy person. I don't know what's happening here. But God is a perfect father and he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Remember when your parents used to look at you and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I used to think in my head, but I didn't dare say it out loud, liar. <laughs> and then I became a parent. It's amazing how many phrases you repeat. <laughs> Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been, what's the phrase there? Trained. Trained. The end game is what? Training. To teach. To disciple. Now, I'm going to close by saying I don't know everything there is to know. But I'm going to give you just a few practical tips that I have learned from others that I see as helpful and then you could do what you want with those and wrestle with God. Here they are. First thing I want to tell you. Number one, stay calm. Their problem is not your problem. And I know that seems backwards. The younger they are, the more active you're going to have to be. But over time, every parent begins this process of handing responsibility back to them, right? So that by the time they're adults, they can come to you and get wisdom and feedback. But at the end of the day, they get, they get busted for something at 10. It might fall on you. They get busted for something at 25. It's like, I love you. How can I come alongside you? But it's this slow process, and you're going to mess it up. Give yourself grace of learning to hand them more and hand them more. This one is critical. There are times that um, I have to remind myself, I love this little person. They are really important to me. See, when I was a kid, and I know Bill Cosby has got all this drama today, so you're like not allowed to refer to Bill, but I remember Bill did this stand-up, and his mom used to yell at him and say, you know what? I brought you into this world. I'll take you out of it, and I'll make another one look just like you. And it gets really easy sometimes to have that perspective, but stay calm. Sometimes my wife will have to look at me and say, Matt, are you okay right now? And that loving rebuke from her, that loving correction, that discipline, that teaching from her allows me to go, okay. There are sometimes I have to look at my kid and say, nope, you need to stay in this spot or you need to stay in your room. I need a break. I need to take a deep breath. I need to regulate because I'm not ready to deal with you in a way that is careful. So I need to walk away and get myself calmed down. This is hostage negotiation 101, right? This is what they teach the police. Like, if you'll just stay in your room, I will pay you. I'm just kidding. All right. That's not true. That was a joke. Don't do that. But here we go. Number two, this is true. Discern the situation and the child's heart to determine the type of discipline necessary. This could be a whole seminar or sermon in itself, but... My friend Rick Sudsbury told me once, he said, Matt, what if what you're interpreting as bad behavior is that child's best option in their mind for a solution to a problem? In other words, in their mind, this is the only way they know how to resolve whatever they're dealing with. So you as a parent have to learn to read their heart, and it's hard, and you will not get it right every time. So give yourself grace. 
But is the reason they're acting this way, did something happen at school? Did somebody hurt them? Did they feel threatened? Did they feel unsafe? Did something happen and now they're acting this way at home? And if I only discipline the behavior, but I never get to the bottom of it, then I end up severing the relationship but the child doesn't think I'm safe anymore. Are you with me? But if what I have is actually a pattern of sinful behavior over and over and over again, what if this person needs me to correct them and rebuke them in a way that actually brings about change? There's a book, it's called Necessary Endings. And the guy who wrote his name is Henry Cloud. I really like Henry Cloud. And um, this is a business book, phenomenal business book. If you're in the business book world and you like that kind of stuff, read this book, it's a great book. This isn't for parenting, but he has a chapter, I think it's chapter seven in here, and it's about the wise, the fool, and the evil. And I was like, man, that's a helpful concept for parenting. So let me just tell you quickly kind of what he says about those three categories. So if you were to take this concept, you read the book of Proverbs, you'll find there's a wise person. A wise person is not a wise guy who makes smart cracks. A wise person is one who receives a correction and changes. They adjust their life appropriately. If you have a wise child in your home, then they will see the light and adjust appropriately. That doesn't mean they won't need time, right? Every time you say to your kid, hey, we don't do that here. We don't handle the things like that. Oh, yes, mother dearest. Yes, you are so wise. That's not necessarily what it means. But a wise child, maybe after they calm down or regulate or whatever, they can receive the lesson and begin to make appropriate adjustments. So you're asking yourself, is this someone who listens? Is there a pattern here where when I help them, they receive the help and they change? So then what do you do to a wise child? You teach, you talk, you correct, you instruct. Make sense? However, until the mind is regulated, a lesson will not be learned. If you are angry, upset, emotional, it won't matter what you say or how you say it. A person has to calm down. There's a lot of ways to calm someone down that we don't have time for, but they must calm down. If the person is not calming down. If you are now seeing a pattern of foolish behavior, then a discipline must escalate. We're not talking about talking and correcting and teaching. We're talking about some form of a discipline. A foolish child, just some ways to know if your child is acting like a fool. By the way, a wise person can become a fool over a thing. I hate this about Matt Nickerson, but he can sometimes be a fool. He can sometimes get a hard heart or a hard thinking or for whatever the reason being, and it takes God correcting me to help me see it. A foolish child always shoots the messenger. For them, the problem is never in the room unless you're in the room. When the light comes, a fool gets angry. They won't listen. They always have an excuse. So what do you do? You don't talk to a fool. You don't teach a fool. More teaching is not going to help. At that point, you need a consequence that matches the seriousness of the problem. If you find out, for instance, that your child did the thing you asked him not to do and they went out and got drunk with their friends on a Friday and you find out this is the first time it's ever happened, that is a completely different situation than if you have a binge drinker who's hiding it behind your back and they're a closet alcoholic at 17 years old. We have two separate problems we have to deal with. And now we have to discern as correction and rebuking and some boundaries working on this one end what do I need to do to escalate the discipline to get their attention on the other end? On the other side of things, let's say you have a younger child. Is my child receiving it? Are we reconnecting with each other? Am I seeing them try? Are they starting to remember? If not, how do I need to put boundaries around this? What discipline can I insert into this to get their attention to bring about lasting change? You may have to create boundaries around a behavior until a new pattern sets in place. 
but always think restoration with a wise child and how do I get a foolish child back to being wise again? Then the last category, and I'll go quickly because I think very few of you will ever have to deal with this, but that would be the evil child. There will be some. The evil child intentionally destroys, tears down, tears apart. In that situation, you need to do whatever's necessary to protect those in your care. Especially if you have an adult child now acting in evil ways, stop being nice. This is not a time to be nice. You can always be gracious and merciful, but do not be nice, be clear. Sever the relationship as much as you need to until they're ready to return. I just wanna read a passage to you, and, and this is about church discipline, but it's Titus chapter three. And I'm gonna read it and then I'll unpack it for you because it's not a one-to-one correlation for parents. But Paul says this, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. Wouldn't you like to deal with your kids? That's it, I've warned you twice, you're out. <laughs> but I'm three, grab your diapers and get out of here. All right, we'll unpack it. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Okay, we are talking about church discipline. Nobody likes to think of the church this way, right? Quit making a box for God. Let God define his box. And by the way, the universe wasn't big enough to contain him. So my guess is whatever box you pick is probably not gonna be big enough. So we need to let God define who he is and why he says things that he says. But if somebody is dividing the body of Christ, Paul says, warn them once, warn them twice, and then send them on their way. So we need to have some wisdom from that. Parent, if you have a child who's truly dividing and ruining, like you don't just keep saying it and 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 saying it. There needs to be something that says this is serious and we're gonna handle it with the seriousness that it requires. So choose a consequence that helps them feel the weight of their decisions. And that one is the hardest but you take the careful thinking. What do I need to do to help them feel the weight of their decisions? Just one cheesy example, but it's an example in our home. If a kid puts a hole in the wall, they have to repair the hole and pay for the supplies to repair it. And if they don't know what to do, then it's my job to help lead them through it. It's one example. But they had to feel the weight of the choice that they made. Now, if they put holes in walls on a regular basis, now I have a pattern that I have to break and disrupt because that is not healthy or acceptable. But I'm learning and I'm discerning. And here's the thing. Sometimes God tells me this happened many times. All three of my kids over the last couple of months, God kept whispering something to me about each of them. And I was just listening going, is that for me? Is that from you, God? Because I don't always know. And then God provided a moment with each of them where I went, wow, that thing I've been feeling in my heart from God, it really was from God. God is a partner in this with you. He loves those kids more than you do. And that is hard to imagine, but it's true. I need to wrap up here. I'm so far over, so forgive me. And you're like, why is that a big deal, Pastor? Well, it's because your kids are out of goldfish. And um, (laughs) you need to go get them. And we're gonna send them to you with all kinds of issues, the discipline. Here we go. Proverbs 19 says this, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them and you will have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. That right there, you cannot rescue them. They must feel the weight of their decisions, or you'll never stop rescuing them. And then lastly, here's my last thing. Give one warning and then follow through. Paul says, give two. So if you go with two, I'm not gonna be upset, 
But the first one, I'd make a verbal warning, and the second one, I would walk over, touch him on the shoulder, grab him by the hand, look him right in the eye, and say, this is what we're going to do. Did you hear me? And then you're going to act on it. Part of the problem today is we give warning after warning after warning because the reality is we don't want to get up and deal with it. And we aren't helping anybody. All right, this lands in a million places. For some of you, this lands in a heart issue because you were abused growing up. And I want you to see your heavenly father is not abusive, but he loves you too much to just let you skate through life in unhealthy patterns. So he's gonna disrupt the pattern to bring you back to himself. So don't confuse God with your parents and you may need some healing. He's the one who wounds, but he also binds and heals. So come to him, find him in your hour of need. And parents, this is hard stuff. It's hard. But if you need help, we're here to help you. We don't have all the answers. But man, Lyndon Fall on our staff, he's a godly man. He's raised his kids. He's gone through some hard stuff and he's gone through some great stuff. And if you just text the word connect anytime. You need Jesus? You need a savior? You ready to accept Jesus? You want some parenting help? You need some prayer? Text the word connect, 317-565-4911 and we will serve you as best we can. Now the thing I wanna do is I wanna ask you to take out your communion. We're gonna close with this. Did you know this communion today, we're gonna use it as a discipline? Because what is a discipline? An opportunity to teach. This little wafer here, the reason it's like this is not instead of just regular bread is because it doesn't have leaven. And the reason it doesn't have leaven is because that reminds us that when Jesus died on the cross, his body took away our sin. He took away the leaven. You may remember that at times Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Their sinful, disruptive behaviors will get into your life and ruin things, ruin your perspective and your thoughts. So the reason we take this bread and what we're about to do is celebrate that Jesus has removed our sin. He's thrown it as far as the east is from the west. And this juice represents his blood. And so what happens is, we see this in the Old Testament, they're told to offer a sacrifice, to take the blood of the animal, and it washes away their sin, but they have to keep coming back and doing it, as I said already. But we take this to celebrate that Jesus died once for all of us. So when we drink this juice, we're reminding ourselves our sins are washed away in him. Now what's powerful about this today is the reason I want you to think of this as a discipline is because wherever you are, whatever mistake you've made as a parent, whatever sin you've had, you ever gotten too angry with your kids? You ever failed to hold them accountable? Jesus has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And he's also washed away your sin so that you stand before God restored in a perfect, loving relationship. So I want to encourage you, whatever you need to say to him, cries for help, save me, help me, give me wisdom, Take a few minutes. I'm gonna start a prayer and then just take that. I'm not even gonna say amen. I'm just gonna walk off stage and you talk to him. But know you come to him fully restored in your relationship. Father in heaven, would you meet us right here, right now in this place? God, whatever, whatever right now you're saying to us, God, would you heal those who need bound up and healed? God, would you help us to forgive our parents where they have hurt us and wounded us rather than teach us and disciple us? God, would you heal any brokenness that exists between a parent and a child in this room right now? The pain that they're feeling of the, uh, the lack of relationship, God. Would you not just heal it? Would you actually bring restoration, move our hearts closer to each other? 
God, right now, I thank you for Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, that through his body and through his blood, I am right with you again. Thank you, God, that you never let my sin compromise our relationship. You dealt with it finally and forever. May I never take advantage of your grace, but may I just sit under it and receive it. Go ahead and talk to God now about whatever you need to.